Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming to join us in our services. And whether you're joining us on-site or online, we pray that truly it will be a blessing. Thank you to our musicians for leading us in worship of God. Thank you to God for bringing us here. Let's begin our time by asking questions. Our life is full of questions. And sometimes the questions can be just light-hearted. And so... Um, Sometimes parents will meet us and they will say to their young kids, say hello to, to Uncle Chris. And the young kid of three or four or four or five might say, who is he? It's a little bit lighthearted. <laughs> and then the parents, to try to cover up the embarrassing question, would say, oh, he's one of the pastors here. Say, say hello. And the child doesn't bother anymore from that point onwards. I remember after I had my appendix operation, appendicitis operation years ago, and also the ARPC at Bishan. After the service, in between the 9 a.m. and the 10.30, and a class of children's church was passing by after their classes, they saw me and the kids called out. Some kids called, we prayed for you, Pastor Chris. I was so encouraged. And one of them ran up and then sat beside me and said, we prayed for you, Pastor Chris, for your appendicitis. What's, uh, what's appendicitis? <laughs> we prayed for you, but what on earth is it? Sometimes our questions are light-hearted. Sometimes they are innocent. Sometimes they are naive. I do not know what questions you've asked the whole of last week. But most of the questions we ask are survival questions, existence questions. They are functional questions. Have you done this? Have you done that? Why is this here? Why is this not there? They are domestic questions that we ask all the time in our families. And so seldom do we ask the right questions not survival questions, but life questions. As we come to Luke 24, about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the first thing we want to ponder is questions and their implications. The first slide comes on. Jesus died, so what? Jesus lives, so what? And it is when we ask questions and get the answers and ponder the implications for us. These are not merely naive questions. They are not innocent questions. They are life and death questions. So there was a man called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. A Jewish man. He came. He lived. He died on the cross. So what? How does that affect Americans? How does it affect Caucasians and Africans and Asians? He lives. So what does that mean for me? in the present, and for the future. So to really understand this in quick summary, there are three resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus. One to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then following from that, he ate with them. And then with them in Jerusalem. Where we're going to focus on is that last one, that third resurrection appearance of our Lord Jesus. And as we read earlier, just for our memory, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And so they were at Emmaus and now returning to Jerusalem. And they, beginning with the women, found the 11 disciples, obviously, and those who were with them gathered together. Where? In Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified at Calvary outside Jerusalem saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to us and appeared to Simon 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them. How? Took them a while, took them a while until he took the bread. He broke it, he gave thanks. And they saw a similarity there. An echo, somebody had done this. The Lord had done this when he was alive. He took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, both in the miracle and in the last supper. And so, appearance at Emmaus, appearance at Jerusalem, finally, finally, the women and the disciples are together. Finally, Jesus appears to all, inverted commas. So, where does that take us? Carries on. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise where? In your hearts. And so the majority of the manuscripts have peace. Peace to you. And why peace? Is there any any significance to Jesus' first greeting of them, the resurrected Lord Jesus appearing to them, and he pronounces peace to you. Is there any significance to this? I do not know when you send messages on your phones. I do not know how you start. Right? I don't know how you end. But uh, about 10 years ago, when handphones came out, I was so excited to send messages instantaneously. But being maybe of an older generation and old school, Every message I send will be greetings. And then it will go all proper English and all proper spelling. When my children saw those messages, they say, which world do you belong to, Dad? Nobody begins messages. This is supposed to be fast. Because the whole world now runs on, um, the whole language on, on, on your phones run on BFF, BTW, LOL, NVM, LMK, ILY. You don't know what that means? Huh, come and ask me. Uh -huh. Then there's TLDR, too long, didn't read. Then there's LMG, TFY, let me Google that for you. Do you know that? It's a whole vocabulary of language. And this language is not acceptable. The last time I was in Sydney, Australia. It's acceptable when you sit for the HSC. You can write in acronyms. So I do not know how you greet people. This is how the risen Lord Jesus greeted the disciples. So any significance to... Peace to you. The word peace in Hebrew is shalom. In English, it's erene. And in Luke 19.41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over Jerusalem. Why should God's promised Messiah weeped, weep over God's city? Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. Whatever we do not know about the mission of Jesus sent by God to his people and then to the world, it's about peace. So why did he greet them with peace? Was it a cursory greeting? Maybe not. Jesus wept because God's original city of peace, Jerusalem, would reject God's final and fullest offer of peace. Beyond this, there is no more peacemaking from the Holy God to sinners such as you and I. But the city of Jerusalem, God's city, was so blinded by fake spirituality and fake 
religiosity by their own casual religiousness, that they worship God in the temple but never worship God with their hearts and never showed it with their lives towards God and the love of neighbour in any era. They were so blind to their fake vision of peace, so blind to their fake vision of harmony, so blind to their fake vision of love. And so our opening passage from Luke was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, Luke 5. And then in Luke 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Israel, beginning with God's people in the city, the Jerusalemites, were so spiritually sick in her sins of self-righteousness. She was led by leaders filled with and filled with people who had lost their spiritual and moral compass. So when finally God sends the Messiah to offer peace, they rejected that offer of peace. In all the utter, complete humility of Jesus dying for them. So peace, is there a significance? I would think so. That was his greeting. What was their response? They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. When was the last time you thought you didn't meet a man or a woman or a child or an old person? You saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So it is the right person. It is the same Jesus. But the wrong response of the disciples on meeting him in the risen body. And Jesus' point is that you didn't see a spirit. He's not a dismembered body. Jesus is not a spirit who left the body because there was Jewish mythical belief that that happened. And Jesus is not just a spirit now upon resurrection. He is in every sense, same, same. There's a continuity between his earthly body and there's a change in his risen body. Same, same, but different. Isn't that what some of you may say after not meeting each other over COVID-19 for a year? I've just met some, some of you. So, I haven't seen you for a year. I haven't seen you. And some have really become so fit. Sometimes you can't recognize them. They lost 10 kgs. Right? Some, of course, have become so overweight. We also can't. It's same, same, but different. But this is between Jesus earthly being and body and his risen body. So this is please not double confirm, which is a phrase we have here in Singapore. Can you please double confirm the details before you take this flight? Can you please double confirm, you know, you're ever going for an operation, they have something on your wrist. What's your name again? Before we cut you up, <laughs> it's Christopher Cher. What's your IC? It's S. Da, 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 da. <laughs> They're making. Which. What do you, what's your operation? Which part? Is it left or right? You've got to know. This is triple confirmed. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, he's not a spirit alone after death. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And Luke is the only one who records it this way, flesh and bones. And when he had said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, 
have you, he said to them, a very Asian thing, a very Chinese thing. Have you anything here to eat? Obviously, there are similarities here. So what is it? Here is what we need to understand about the triple confirm. Jesus appears to them. Jesus speaks to them. If someone appears to you just as an image and not speak to you, it will just be a blur. right? You met a person, but no conversation. What do you make of it? It's anything you want to make of it. He appears to them, he speaks to them, and now he eats with them. But verse 41 is worth pondering. And while they still believed for joy and were marvelling, could this be two possibilities? Continued disbelief. We won't believe this. Or is this incredulous belief? We cannot believe this is happening. We cannot believe this is happening. You can't put this and this together. The two things just don't go. Singapore just won the World Cup. It's not going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And if it does, I, I will repent. I won't be here by then. Neither will you. We just won the highest number of Olympic gold medals. It ain't going to happen for tiny Singapore. It just can't happen. Is this incredible? It cannot believe this is happening. It's too good to believe. It's too God to believe. It's a mixture of amazement and joy. If you met the only being who came back from the dead, I guess we'll find ourselves with this mixture of amazement and joy. But event without explanation becomes miracle, becomes magic. But the Bible doesn't present to us a magical faith, a mythical faith, a fairy tale faith, event plus explanation. Then, after the appearance, after checking out his body, after seeing him eat with them, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Quite obviously, the whole Old Testament scriptures in three categories of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. So we say again, if all this had just happened, events, risen Lord and disciples, without explanation, we would have a mythical faith. We would have a magical faith. But Jesus says, and all that he says here is important. The whole of the Old Testament spoken by God, the whole of the Old Testament spoken by God, leans towards, point towards, it's not that every single word and every single verse is about Jesus the Messiah. That's not what it means. That the whole of Scripture is pointing and leaning towards this, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified by the religious leaders, is now the risen Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, small-town boy and rabbi who thought with such authority and performed miracles that the religious establishment could never perform. Exorcism, healings, is now the long-awaited Messiah. But he is the suffering Messiah, 
the crucified Messiah, and now the risen Messiah. When will you get his identity correct? I'm not wrong, years ago I watched a video, somebody sent it to me, and it was uh, about kids playing football, right? I forget which country. And then standing, there was a man with beard, an older man with beard, and uh, was it an advertisement? And um, they didn't want him on the team, but he joined the team, and after a few minutes of that, slowly but surely, at the end of it, it turned out to be Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Chris, what was his, what's his name? You know him. Okay. <laughs> and they just couldn't believe it. One of the best footballers of all time. Could this old vagabond or vagrant be this superstar football player? When are you going to see the true identity of this person? That Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, which means so lightly dismissed by leaders and nation, so thoroughly and completely rejected, that this couldn't possibly be God's promised Messiah for Israel and for global blessings. He is now the risen Messiah. When will that penny drop for you? When will you see this? When will the scales from your eyes fall off? that you will see that He has been sent by God to save you. When? The main chatter of Scriptures, to put it in our modern language, was Jesus' crucifixion and then Jesus' resurrection. It's not random. And His arrest, His betrayal, His beating, and finally His death on the cross is not a misadventure. He is not simply a victim of man's plots. It was to fulfill Scripture. And the Greek word is pleru, very important, which means nothing has, not all has gone wrong, nothing has gone wrong, but all has gone right according to God's sovereignty. So divine necessity, divine sovereignty, all culminating in His crucifixion and His resurrection. The Scriptures point to it. This has been a continuous story, friends. Do you believe in this? That God is nothing down the salvation plan, down to the last T. It happened in the life of Jesus. It continues to happen in the life of His church. And so we had three days of the Easter convention. And we were very honoured to have hosted it. right? And on the second night, right, I was so uplifted by the musicians and the music that they sang. So every night, as the moderator, I go and thank them for that. And I thank the lady who sang, and the person who sang here up front, the guy. He was busy. I was going to thank him first because he was the lead singer and the worship leader. I thanked the sister in Christ. I said, Pastor Chris, actually, I used to come here to the RPC. I said, really? I'm sorry, I didn't notice. I used to come to the Saturday service. I just wanted to thank you. So it was mutual thanksgiving. That's what Christians do. We mutually encourage each other, mutually thank. And she just wanted to tell a story. And the only reason she came here for Saturday service was that she had become a young believer and her parents were thoroughly opposed to her attending Sunday services. And so our Saturday service is very good for closet believers. And many have found shelter here in that Saturday service. 
She said, I just wanted to thank you. That if not for that, and then after that, she met, and she met and married the lead singer. And that's the story. We don't make up these stories. When is the life of Christ alive, the church? Everything just happens. Her spiritual journey began here. And then she comes here, and I'm so uplifted by her. This is what it means when we believe in God's sovereignty. Working out all things. It may seem that things are going wrong. My parents are totally opposed to me believing in Jesus. How long am I going to carry on sneaking up to service on a Saturday? You know, it wears you down. It wears you down. The cost of believing in Jesus, in some small way, it does. And so, Jesus died, so what? And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Why is this so important? If ever there was a rebuke of the Western church, the church in the West is suffering a problem called sin amnesia. We don't like to mention sin. If we don't like to mention sin, there is no need to mention Jesus, the Saviour. At the heart of His work, the first thing He pronounces and then sends His disciples on the Great Commission is this. Jesus died, so what? In 24 verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning with Israel. Which means that each and all of us must take sin in any shape and form seriously in our lives. All sin that point to our rebellion against God. Sin of thought and word and deed. And we're going to have to take repentance and forgiveness seriously, which leads us to ask, do you? Do I? These are the first words of the Lord Jesus to the disciples about their mission now, now that He's completed His earthly mission. And as we trace the 24 chapters of what Jesus experienced of the rebellion of His people, experienced in the sinfulness of His people, Take a look at what it was in the lives of Israel. Jesus died so that we might die to at least a few things. Big egos, big expectations, small ambitions. Big egos was on visual display, subtle display, sophisticated sin of the religious leaders. Why sophisticated sin? Because Jesus wasn't killed by the pimps of Geelang or the prostitutes of Geelang. He was killed by the religious leaders who on the surface looked so humble and looked so right with God when in their hearts they plotted against Him, plotted against Him and rejoiced that they found Judas, a partner in crime, to now finally nail Jesus to the cross. Big expectations. Jesus was failing personally, Judas and all the rest, as he headed towards Jerusalem, headed towards the cross, he obviously failed the whole nation because they asked for an obvious criminal, Barabbas, instead of him, the totally innocent. They asked for the totally guilty in place of the totally innocent. That's what failed expectations might do to you. 
That's what dash hopes might do to you. Of what? Big expectations of freedom and fullness. Freedom from Rome, fullness of life. Freedom from Rome, fullness of life. There's a modern-day version of this among us as secular people in the 21st century. Freedom from God, fullness of life. Don't buy into that, friends. Freedom from God, fullness of my man-made life, self-determined life. Small ambitions, the disciples. He had to teach them again and again. Why do you talk about, oh, whatever you're talking about, who will sit on my right and who will sit on my left? Don't you know the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many? What ideas of greatness do you have? You still don't get it. It's almost the end for, for me. You still don't get what greatness is. Jesus' death, where it began. You must never underestimate what? You must never ask, underestimate the bitterness that might rise in your heart and consume your heart whenever there are failed expectations of the charm line, failed expectations of the charm marriage, failed expectations of the, of the charm family life, and the real entitlement to, you have just postponed my happiness and my fullness till eternity. I'm not going to stay in this relationship. I'm not going to stay in this church. I'm not going to stay in this ministry because I've got dash expectations. I've got dash hopes. Freedom from God, fullness of self. So the crowd's complete rejection of Jesus. The people watch. The rulers sneer. The soldiers scourge him. Barabbas, the totally guilty, is totally set free. The criminal blasphemes. He was, that's why we read. Unless we see the gravity of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and how we behave like animals towards the most innocent man who came from God, you and I will not understand the goodness of Easter. Because unless Jesus washes us clean from the beastliness of our hearts, big egos, small ambitions, and expectations in between of freedom and fullness, freedom and fullness, Friends, what does that mean for you and me from day to day now? It's about dying and living with Jesus. For Jesus has said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, what is it he said? The three pronouncements, the three predictions of his suffering. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, can you read this together with me for engagement? Please, together. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? So are we dying or living with Jesus? Can you work that out? He says this again and again. This is Gospel 101. It is so fundamental, is so foundational, we think we should move on to other things. Miracles, speaking in tongues, visions from God, when's the second return, what's the right sexuality? You never move from first base. First base is you sort out who Jesus is. 
You sort out what it means to die with Him and to, lie, to live with Him. You don't sort out all these things. The second order things, the third order things are all luxurious things. Based on your presumption, you have sorted out what it means to die with Christ and then to live with Christ. So Jesus' gospel warning is very simply this. If you and I don't crucify our big egos and our small ambitions, they will kill us. On behalf of God, I promise you that. If you have a big ego, camouflage as humility. If you've got small ambitions and you justify it away with a very petty quarrel, again, right? Another petty quarrel at lunchtime, another petty quarrel at dinner time, another petty quarrel when you drive, another petty quarrel when sending your children to school, another petty quarrel when you're coming to church for service, another petty quarrel when you leave from here. And what's a big ego? You always want your way. And what's your small ambition? I want it now. If you don't crucify your big egos in moment-to-moment living and your small ambitions to always have your way, it will kill off your relationship with God and kill off every human relationship you have. That, I promise you, on God's behalf. We say that again in almost every wedding sermon that I'm privileged to preach at. You might win the argument, but you will lose the person. You might win the argument, but you will lose the persons. So any here sitting here, and you're still pondering about your big ego and your small ambitions, justified under a veneer of religiosity, under a veneer of church going, under a veneer of that you're a leader, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a DG leader, a BB boy captain, GB officer, none of those things are going to get us right with God, friends. So how do we die to self? You die once and for all in hearing the gospel message. You die decisively. And then the rest of scriptures, beginning with Jesus, you got to take up your cross daily. You die repeatedly. Then you're not going to you're not going to enter into another petty quarrel that's going to scar your children and traumatize your children. Daddy and mommy, can you just love each other? Can we just have one more day, one, just one day, just one day without the two of you bickering over something small? And please die willingly. So you die until you live. You die to self until you live in Christ. It's no longer I that live it, but Christ who liveth in me. Unless you die comprehensively to self in every circumstance, you will not live comprehensively in Christ. You will need Jesus. So I've said this again and again over the last 30 years. The sooner we die to self, the sooner we live by Christ, in Christ, for Christ, for God's glory. You don't die to self in that moment. It's going to be war. It's going to be Satan ruling over your hearts and your homes. You don't die to self in that moment of temptation, of sexual sin, of social sins, of anger and speech sins. It's going to be war. Then event and explanation. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. Did you know Jesus does a very subtle thing here? A subtle but substantial shift, a gospel shift, that all the time now they were disciples, disciples just meaning a follower. You follow a Jewish teacher, you become a disciple of the rabbi, of the teacher, you become a disciple of the master, from which you learn the law and what it means to please God. Now his post-resurrection commandment to them, commission to them is, you are witnesses of these things. And so, he turns them from disciples to witnesses, and the Greek word for witnesses is martyrs. In going forth to shine the Christ-like to the world, which is an invitation to die to all human grandiose, grand ideas, then when we rule the world, it will be paradisical. He turns them to witnesses. You've got to die to all ideas of self-wisdom and self-happiness and self-utopias. So there's a missing word there. Jesus' earthly mission is complete. His heavenly mission begins. He sits at God's right hand, given all authority over the entire universe. And he carries on with his high priestly work of interceding for the church. And then the church's global mission begins. Did you see a connection? His earthly mission ends. He ascends. He carries on with his priestly work of praying for the church. And the church's global mission begins. And so he led them as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them. So Luke records now what we call his ascension. And as he ascends, he blesses them. As he ascends, he blesses them. And was carried up into heaven. And they did something they never did in response to Jesus in his earthly life. And what is it they never did in response to Jesus as the eleven who followed him minus Judas? They now worship him. They worship him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing them. I've said this every time I preach on this because I'm so afraid you might miss the significance of verse 52. That somebody you knew was just flesh and blood, right? A rabbi that you followed Jesus, all of a sudden, upon his resurrection, you worship him. The person sitting next to you is flesh and blood. Is that right? Just check. Just check. Are they flesh and blood? Now you turn to the person next to you on your left and right. If they are a total stranger, ask for their permission and say to them, I worship you. <laughs> you must never do that. Because that person is just flesh and blood. That will be blasphemy. That will be heresy. If he doesn't rise and he is not who he is, Son of Man, Son of God, the Messiah, both man and God in one, then this is blasphemy. They worshipped him. The penny had dropped. They now see clearly Jesus died, so what? Jesus lives, so what? Notice a few things. Jesus lives, so what? So worship him with your lives. 
And when you worship Him with your lives, you receive. Notice He begins by greeting them with peace. He ends by giving them blessing, blessing, blessing. And they rejoice. And now they are to go and tell others about Him. But wait, wait. They now must wait because now they must wait for the Son and the Father to send the Spirit that this work is thoroughly Trinitarian. When was the last time this was thoroughly Trinitarian? And Jesus' baptism. The voice of God spoke as the Spirit descended like a dove. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. As Jesus begins His public ministry, all three persons of God was involved in that. As Jesus completes His earthly ministry, all three persons of God are there. And the, churches, the church, God's people, now begin His ministry. So we have this as our tagline for ARPC. We call it our 5Gs. Who said the tech companies invented 5Gs? We invented it. It was invented in the gospel, by the gospel. When God said to Abraham, you will go and all those who bless you will be blessed. So God's work must be done God's way in God's time, for God's glory. And if it's done God's way in God's time, for God's glory, it will never let God supply. And here, the coming of the Spirit is the coming of power. You don't just meet the risen Lord and you go forth. You need to be empowered by His Spirit. The Spirit of God the Father, the Spirit of the risen Lord, must be in you as you believe, marking you as the first inheritance that's the only way you're going to do battle with Satan and save people blinded by the world, or blinded by the world in which Jesus, I mean, in which Satan is the fake ruler of the world, offering you fake freedom and fake fullness that you with your big egos and your small ambitions just want to pursue to death day by day and kill off everyone around you. So Jesus lives. So what? All the way from the Old Testament in Genesis, from the four patriarchs, remember that? Every time they took things into their own hands, Sarah is barren, Rebecca is barren, let's do something about it. Every time they ran ahead of God and His timing, they messed things up big time. Remember that? It was the same in Jesus' life. In John's Gospel, he will keep saying, the hour is not yet, the hour is not yet. They all have to wait at the, for the right time. God's work done God's way in God's time for God's glory will never lack His supply. So beware of running ahead of time in your life. You impatient for things to happen? Some jigsaw puzzles haven't fallen into place. And so you don't feel... You believe in Jesus, but you still don't feel complete. Jesus died so that we can live for God. Jesus lives so that we can die to big egos and small ambitions and expectations and expectations. Then it's all going to come together here on earth. It's not all going to come together here on earth. This world will not offer us the charm life. It has to be the world that Jesus invites us to. So did you notice from this point onwards, the disciples who are ask, always asking the wrong questions, 
We're always asking the wrong question. They've always got the timing wrong. They are now men and women under instructions. You wait. You wait. You wait until the Father and I send the Spirit. And for that, you've got to read the next book called Acts. Because Luke-Acts is two volumes about the life of Christ, Luke, and the life of the church, empowered now by Jesus Christ. So yesterday was April the 3rd. And April the 3rd, I'd forgotten my business in preparation for so different things, including today, that it was the anniversary of my late mother's passing away. And one of my sisters of my family of 12 sent a message on the family chat, and she sent a message that nine years ago, Mum celebrated her first Easter with Jesus. My sister, who is a Christian, didn't say, nine years ago, our beloved mother, whom we all love, died. Because she believed in Jesus, her life changed. I just want you to put yourself there, that whoever you have now lost, in life. If they have believed in Jesus, they celebrate the, their Easter. That in a mysterious way upon death, the believer, our spirit goes and in some ways joined with God, as Paul says, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. And then when Jesus returns, we'll all be raised in the body to eternal life and fellowship. The brother that died the sister that passed away, your grandma who raised you when your parents were not around, the person that you miss so much, you cried for, that you sometimes miss in the quietness of the night when you think about the meaning of life or the meaninglessness of life, the purposelessness of life. If they pass away, ask yourself, friends, where do they go? For it's not enough for us to simply believe in Jesus and worship Him and receive His undeserved peace and joy in our hearts. We must go and tell others. There are so many ways we can go and tell others. Week to week in our sermon series, Back to Basics, Back to Jesus, Luke's Gospel, Meet the King. And now we're going to start with the next series, The Greatest Escape, Exodus. In about three weeks' time, the John Piper ministry will be on. It's not simply to feed your mind to ask your questions and my questions. Come along and see what Pastor John, our brother John, longer in the teeth, longer in the tooth in his pilgrimage with God, can share and glean for us. In all those different ways, that's what it means for us to believe in this. And so yesterday we had a first gathering of the parents of the toddlers, which means so many of them, the babies were just born last year, right? COVID-19 year, COVID-19 babies. What's the difference between COVID-19 babies and toddlers and those pre-COVID-19, post-COVID-19? COVID-19 babies and toddlers only recognize people with masks. Because <laughs> that's all they've seen, right? If you take out the mask, the baby might cry. So, so, 
<laughs> I bumped into a mother at the corridor downstairs, right, a few months ago. The elder child I knew, elder child baptized. I've been to their home, walked through with them. Uncle Chris, Pastor Chris, wonderful greeting. This second one. <laughs> the parents who came, they were so thankful for that fellowship. So thankful to meet other parents and other children. And I met their kids so happy to be together. From tomorrow onwards, we have been given the permission to sing with mass. We've been waiting for a year for that. Don't you think we should arrive in huge numbers and fill up our services? Just checking for consciousness. Just checking whether you give thanks to God for pr answered prayer. We pray, you know, but God and God answers, but we hardly give thanks. What for? Singing with mass. Slowly lah. Count your blessings one by one. This is a pandemic. We have never experienced this before, right? When it came and shut us down in March and April last year, nobody wanted to work from home. Nobody wanted to study from home. Now, very few people want to go back to office. Which one you want? Can you make up your mind? Those are all frivolous questions. The new normal. Here is the question. Jesus lives, Jesus died, so what? Jesus lives, so what? So do something about it. Worship Him. Humbly receive the peace that enjoy that only He can give and go forth and tell the story. I began the Good Friday service by quoting from a song that we, we sing in many Christian circles and hear, The Power of the Cross. But today is Easter Sunday. So I thought we would just listen to the music and allow me to just tweak the lyrics for us. Oh, to see the dawn. The dawn of the brightest day cries on the road to Emmaus met by faithful women, asked and questioned then, raised for a world to worship. This, the power of the cross, Christ became new for us, took the blame, where's the crown? We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the glory, the glory written on his face, basking in the weight of worship. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, drowned by your bloodstained brow. Now the daylight gleams, now the ground beneath, quakes as his maker raises his head, curtain torn in two, yes. Dead are raised to life. Finish. Finish. The victory cry. Satan defeated, sin forgiven. 
repentance is possible. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your victory, I'm free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. Worn through your selfless love. This, the power of the cross, the Son of God, slain for us. What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven and made new at the cross. Let's rise. We pray. We sing this closing song triumphantly. And we go forth and live for Christ. Spend some time in humble reflection before God and before Jesus. Always pause long enough to know that there is a God who created us. Always pause long enough to know how blind and stubborn and lost we are, we are in our lives. Always pause and bow low enough to know that in our rebelliousness and our blindness, we each suffer a huge dose of big egos and small ambitions lived out in all the petty moments of our life. Seeking freedom, seeking fullness, seeking freedom, seeking fullness by our own effort, on our own terms, for our own glory. Always bow low enough to thank God for Jesus. That He came and died according to Scriptures. Then He came and rose according to Scriptures. And so we worship Him and not self or any other. And so we receive from Him true peace and blessings and joy that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And so we go forth to share the good news. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. He died, so what? He lives, so what? So, we must believe in Him and become like Him to the Father's glory. Amen.